0: Welcome back to Hertel. Okay, we're going to talk war on drugs. We've talked about this quite a bit on this program. We're going to keep talking about it because this problem is not going away. New voice to us on this topic, Finesse Moreno Rivera is joining us. She's a Young Voices contributor. She has a lot of background on this, both in the private sector and uh, advising and working with uh, authorities. Finesse, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew.
0: Here's where I want to start, because This is one of those things that has gotten really buzzwordy and trendy, and we talk about, oh, the war on drugs is bad. Okay, give us the historical perspective before we dive into this thing, because it's been going on for so long. You open up your piece in uh, Blavity about uh, Nixon in 71. I'm old enough to remember George the Elder Bush holding up crack cocaine on national TV in primetime. This has been (laughs) going on for 50-plus years. I don't think people really put the historical term how long we've been doing this— set the stage for us before we dive into this what is the war on drugs because this is we talk about afghanistan being 20 years we're 50 years into this
1: yes it has been going on uh, excuse me ongoing for quite some time now for over 50 years starting with nixon and this started with the vietnam war with our veterans who were addicted primarily with heroin um Unfortunately, as the years went on, one of Nixon's assistants did admit that the war on drugs was pretty much just a front in order for them to go after um, the African-American voters, as well as the so-called hipsters that were consuming marijuana. So this was just a way to really infiltrate those communities um, who were marginalized at the time.
0: And amazingly enough, and this is going to be a theme as we talk about the war on drugs. The reaction to all these veterans are coming home addicted to heroin and other things that they brought back from over there. You know, a lot of it was them self-medicating on top of everything else, but we'll get into that some other time. It wasn't, let's get these people treatment. It's how do we punish this and make it go away? And that's the theme that keeps popping up over and over again. And when we talk about the war on drugs outside of the addiction issues and the criminality, that's really the problem right there, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, What we have seen is that Nixon's war on drugs just really set a deadly precedent for um, incoming administrations since then. Unfortunately, when we think about the war on drugs, we immediately think about the anti-drug abuse policy in 1986. Unfortunately, spearheaded by Mr. Biden himself looking at the city's inferiority between crack cocaine and power cocaine. Unfortunately, what we were seeing there was more of a knee-jerk reaction of it being punitive rather than helping these communities. And unfortunately, as we all know, that policy wasn't based on evidence or scientific methods whatsoever. I mean, there were also many studies that were proven false as well, looking at how crack cocaine was more dangerous than powder cocaine. And so what you were seeing, again, were the pure, poor communities such as black communities rather than white affluent communities who were being punished for uh, their drug abuse.
0: Yeah. And the accusation was, you know, crack cocaine was just going to be the terminology we were going to use to talk about inner cities and minorities in the inner cities to the greater swath of America. That was the accusation. How much truth was there to that?
1: It was absolutely false. Um Unfortunately, you know, I like to compare the now to then where we're seeing, you know, this opioid epidemic is, you know, it's being named a crisis where crack cocaine was looked as more as a problem and an actual crime. So unfortunately, what we were seeing was pure, poor communities who weren't receiving the help that they actually needed and who were being labeled as criminals
0: what's the where's the stereotype come from aside from of course we talking there's class and race involved here and there's no way to unwind that ball but why does addiction have such a stigma to it where's the stereotype come from do you think because is, is it is it just the visual of it of somebody destroying their own life and well they did it to themselves that part of it is it all the other stuff, the socioeconomic and the racial and the class that's put on top of it? Because we sure don't seem to have a problem with, you know, stockbrokers doing cocaine constantly, which is a known thing. That gets treated completely different. I know that's a big ball of mess, but where do we even start to attack it from?
1: That's a really good question, Andrew, because <laughs> the question to that is it's definitely multifaceted. It's socioeconomic. It's also race. Um, and so, I think that in order to start to make amends with what has occurred with the drug poli- policy, um, its negative effects is definitely to treat drug abuse as a health crisis, as something that should be looked at as as a health crisis, as in it shouldn't be looked at as a crime itself. And unfortunately, in our country, we tend to stigmatize drug abuse negatively. Um, it's definitely looked down upon, especially when you're comparing it to something such as mental health, right? We're just now as a country starting to um, look into mental health and realizing that it's a norm for us and it should be talked about and there should be resources for individuals rather than there being a negative stigma attached to that.
0: Yeah, Finesse uh, Moreno Rivera joining us. Okay, here's the problem with that. And I know this because I've been writing and advocating about it for a couple of years. If you're going to treat it as a public health thing, that means you have to deal with it as a public health issue, which means you're not only doing treatment, you're trying to do prevention. And every time somebody tries to do mitigation or prevention with drug abusers, they always get accused of, without exception, and I've seen it over and over again, and you have too oh, you're just feeding the addicts by doing this. How do we have that conversation? Because every time you go to a municipality and go, hey, we have a harm reduction strategy or Hey, you know, you can't take somebody from zero to 60 on addiction. You have to give them this intermediate steps that are kind of icky. How do we have that conversation with this? Because when we start talking about the war on drugs overall, that intermediate step of we don't need to be punitive. We need to do this treatment stuff. That's where the the sticky part of the, this really gets ugly. And we don't seem to be able to communicate not only with communities, but just with like government agencies and others. Can we?
1: No, no, we can't. And again, it goes back to that negative stigma. For individuals where we are just so based as a culture and being punitive, rather being um, looking at a way to help those individuals. So let's say, for example, looking at Biden's new package that he just put into play for harm reduction, we are having a lot of pushback from some of the states saying that it is condoning the use of drugs. However, they're not looking at the positives that that come from harm reduction programs such as looking at safe injection sites, looking at providing test strips that can indicate if there is a substance that has fentanyl. I think that a lot of individuals get lost with these harm reduction programs because they're not seeing the ultimate goal, which is to reduce drug overdoses in the U.S.
0: And one of the biggest things that I try to do when I cover this and talk about it is the stigma is, well, it's an addict and they're doing it to themselves. That's a lie. The addiction is a bomb that goes off in these families and these communities because it destroys not only the person, it destroys their families. This puts enormous taxation on healthcare facilities, criminal justice facilities the legal system, the court systems, the social service, especially in smaller communities or inner cities or places that are already strapped for resources. These are absolute bombs going off that cross a lot of streams of different things, and they're just almost impossible to deal with, aren't they?
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's really hard for individuals to realize that this is definitely a community-oriented effort, and it takes a lot. It's a, it's a heavy list because you have to have a lot of hands in the pot. You have to have you know, enough funding for sites. You have, a, have to have enough um, support from your policy as well as those who are in the city, in the state, then on the federal level. And so although this is a heavy list, I think that individuals tend to really give up and don't see that end goal, which is reducing the drug overdoses. And by also understanding that while we're curbing the drug overdoses, we're also preventing more deadlier drugs to come out on the street. For example, we have a new we have a new flood of drugs known as benzodope, which is effectively just benzos that are combined with fentanyl, heroin, or cocaine. And what this does is it gives the user an even higher chance of overdosing. And unfortunately, benzodope has been shown to not um is not affected by Narcan. Narcan cannot reverse overdoses uh, for benzodope as of right now. So what we're seeing is that users aren't getting help, they continue to graduate to more harmful drugs, which then opens up even more opportunities for drug traffickers. Um, who can come up with different cutting agencies and make drugs even more dangerous.
0: Yeah, and it's important what you just said because people are like, well, why is the overdoses spiking? One of the reasons they're overdosing and they're spiking and the death count has gone way, way up, even though the drug use hasn't uh, gone up in a, a measurable same way, this new fentanyl, the benzo dope you're talking about, These are not the drugs that we have been traditionally dealing with. This is a whole new beast. And even hardened drug users that their system is used for it, this stuff is just absolutely deadly, sometimes on the first take. This is very different than what we've been seeing over the past, isn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. What we're also seeing is now that we have, fentanyl has our attention here in the U.S., again, we are seeing these drug traffickers who are able to find new ways to cut these drugs to make it cheaper as well as easier to move so they're always looking at the end of the day their profit how much money they can make in addition we're also having other individuals who again are making their own home labs if you will to create these drugs and then sell them
0: and the other problem with this and we kind of already touched on it but you mentioned it in your piece I want to make sure we highlight it The other parts that come with this, especially in black communities, poverty stricken communities, um, incarceration, STDs, mental health problems, then all the criminality comes in with that. There's no way to separate all that when you're dealing with drug use, especially when the drugs are getting more and more potent, which is going to affect these people more and more.
1: Absolutely. You cannot you cannot disconnect the consequences of drug abuse within these communities. But then what also makes it worse is that they do not have the means to get the help that they need. So you're seeing more drug overdoses within the Black communities, communities of color. Another thing that I would also like to note is that because of, I guess, the lower the lower seat, if you will, that colored individuals are on when it comes to our social hierarchy ladder, they are more exposed to the the supply chain being lower, which makes them more prone to be exposed to stronger drugs, just given the fact that they are going hand-in-hand with the drug dealers themselves who are on the streets.
0: Yeah. Finesse Moreno-Rivera joining us. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. we come back, we're going to talk about some of the policy stuff like that, uh, that deal with the war on drugs. Trump, some of the stuff Biden's doing, just recently didn't make a whole lot of headlines but makes a whole lot of difference in how the war on drug is prosecuting then we're going to get into some solutions hopefully what can we do about a problem that seems nigh near unsolvable finesse moreno rivera joining us on her tell more with her right after this Welcome back to Herd Tell. We're talking about the war on drugs, which is one of the worst named things ever for something that has been highly destructive, very expensive and has gotten us nothing closer to what it was set out to do. We're talking to Finesse Moreno Rivera about it. Um, Let's talk some of the policy stuff here. You walked us through it in your piece and Blavity. We're linking to it like we always tell you. Please read the entire piece for yourself. And she links to a lot of source documentation that you also need to read up on this. Look, information is the key to a complex issue. And this has a lot of information in it. Um, Before we get to Biden, you already mentioned him. Let's back up. The Trump administration in 2018 did some temporary class widening scheduling of fentanyl stuff. This has repercussions. But for folks that don't know, when we're talking about the drug classes and that sort of thing, what is it and what does it mean when they do things like that?
1: Usually what this means is that they can be very much harsher punishment for individuals, no matter the weight or the amount of the given drug. So this is very similar to looking back at crack cocaine itself. We're looking at the sentencing disparity in the amount of the drug itself. So instead of looking at the harm that it causes, it's really looking at the amount that the individual may be possessing at the time.
0: Yeah, and you have a stat here that uh, the majority of offenders arrested on this program are black street-level dealers at the end of the drugs distribution chain, not the movers and the distributors that, you know, they claim that they're normally going after law enforcement like everybody else. They like to get the lowest hanging fruit. Quoting you here, very few incarcerations have mitigated the availability supply of fentanyl. As of 2019, 75% of individuals prosecuted and sentenced for the fentanyl offenses were people of color. But then the next paragraph, you bring it up. The real problem here, the Biden administration, they also extended the scheduling policy last year and this year, both. What does it mean in practical terms that they continue to continue this policy? To repeat myself.
1: Absolutely. What this means in layman's terms is that they are continuing the same thing that they did with crack cocaine in that unfortunately what we're starting to see is that instead of seeing the supplier, the individuals who should be incarcerated, we're seeing these low level, we're seeing these low level individuals who are providing the drugs, predominantly African American, going back into the jail and prison systems due to their involvement with fentanyl.
0: This isn't ever, you know, this is whack-a-mole. If all you're doing is hitting the street level stuff and you've got the stats in your piece about how much of this comes through from overseas, how much of this goes through government controlled points of access, they're not stopping this stuff. They're just getting the street level folks. That's doing absolutely nothing for the wider problem other than, you know, filling the prisons up with street level people who are mostly repeat offenders anyway, right?
1: Absolutely, Andrew. And unfortunately, right now, what we're seeing with our incarceration rates is about 85% of individuals who are currently incarcerated are incarcerated given their use of drugs or selling of drugs. So this really isn't doing much of anything. However, looking back at Trump's administration, the move is what they thought was good at the time, considering that fentanyl, the source is predominantly from China. And although China has tried to regulate their fentanyl chemical manufacturing again, criminals will be criminals, may always be finding this poll. And so, what you'll find is a lot of individuals, such as myself, can get online, Facebook, um, or the dark web, and able to purchase chemicals that are similar to fentanyl and create my own products myself and then sell it on the street.
0: And as you bring up in your piece, Um, the problem with, you know, prohibition, which is just, we're going to have this war on drugs and it's going to be this massive federal funding and it's the main income stream for law enforcement and right on down the line is it exacerbates all the problems already inherent in the system, racial biases, drug overdoses, disease, corruption, uh, the violence that goes around it. All of that gets exasperated because now it's a business model on top of being a criminal philosophy of trying to abate crime, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a perfect business model if you think about it. I mean, unfortunately, what's happening is, is again, people of color are the ones who are paying the price for this. No one's, really taking any, no one's really taking any type of responsibility in admitting that what we continue to do is wrong, what we have done is wrong, and we're still continuing to make the same mistakes. Black individuals are the ones who continue to pay for these mistakes as well. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now, especially with Biden's extension for fentanyl, it's not getting any better. And although he may be enacting these harm reduction programs, he still is not doing any better with keeping black, predominantly black males out of jails and prisons.
0: Now, there is some good news on this. You took a public health approach to some of your solutions that you would like to see put out. Um, Black Americans statistically do respond really well to public health programs. We've got statistics. They do. So what's a couple of the things you were pointing out that they should take more of a public health and prevention standpoint than a punitive and law enforcement standpoint that might actually do some good here?
1: Absolutely. Some of the solutions include safe injecting sites. I know that there was a lot of uproar on um, online as well, a lot of jokes with Biden mentioning with his harm reduction programs, you know, syringes, for example, free syringes. That's a big deal because that also prevents diseases. So I know also there was a lot of pushback from the communities for safe ingesting sites. Let's be honest. Who wants a safe ingesting site right down the street, say from, you know, their, their kids school or right around the corner from their, from the neighborhood. So that's something that has had a lot of pushback, but has also shown to be very successful in preventing again, the long-term goal of drug overdoses.
0: Yeah. And one of the ones that popped through um, the news cycle and made headlines uh, back uh, a couple months ago was the crack pipe sleeve thing. If you remember that one where everybody Mm -hmm. got in an uproar because they were, well, because the problem is, they were sharing pipes and spreads hepatitis C and we're having HIV spikes in drug communities and everything else. So they were trying to do that and everybody went, no, 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 they're giving out crack pipes. It's like, well, these are people that's going to do that anyway. So okay. th- this goes back. And I'm going to ask the question again, because we touched on it at the beginning of our conversation, but I think it bears emphasis. How do you have that conversation with somebody who's just going to hear the term pipe or just going to hear the term injection site or syringe, and they're just going to recoil, Is there any way to have that conversation with someone who's like, no, you can't go from zero to 60 on addiction. You've got to give them some intermediate steps. These are those intermediate steps. Or you get these communicable diseases that are not going to stay confined to just the drug community.
1: Unfortunately, what I found when speaking with individuals who don't condone harm reduction, who do get that pushback, is they have yet to experience something that in their life and life is part of living and learning and not that i would ever wish anyone to themselves or have a loved one who has been through um, drug addiction but it's really something that you don't think that is important and steps that need to be taken unless you lived it yourself or been in that situation or lived in those communities So until we are able to have those open conversations and learn from each other, I honestly don't know how we're going to get over this negative stigma of individuals who do need assistance when working with drug abuse.
0: Now, you had touched on the one that's the real uh, firing point for a lot of the debate over the drug. You bring up decriminalization. Get into the nomenclature for me, because legalizing and decriminalization are two different things. So how are you using it and define the term for folks so that they all know what we're talking about here?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up, Andrew. So there are different definitions for decriminalization. And a lot of different countries or even states, as I cited within the article for Oregon, define it in different ways. For myself, I would see decriminalization as non-punishable depending upon the amount of drug. And when I say decriminalization, I also mean decriminalizing, making legal, non-punishable, all drugs that we're seeing. I think it's also important to note, too, by doing so, we can really work on the racial bias that we're seeing. We can work on um, the diseases that are being spread. We can work on the corruption that's occurring. We can also work on taking away the power of of these drug smugglers and drug traffickers themselves.
0: We started out talking about the war on drugs and the history of it. We mentioned the opioid crisis. What's some of the lessons from the war on drugs that we should be applying to the opioid crisis? How much of it is a continuation and maybe an evolving of the same problem? How much of it is a very different thing that should be addressed differently, do you think?
1: I think that the opioid crisis is something that should be should be addressed Separately, and unfortunately, I see it being ongoing. There have been three waves in the opioid crisis. The first being, unfortunately, the abuse of prescription drugs, which was the over, which was caused by over-prescribing the opioids. Thank you, Purdue Pharma. Going on to second, given the fact that supply and demand was interrupted by this, um, individuals were the high, the demand was high for opioids, but the supply wasn't there then you are seeing the second wave individuals shifting to heroin. And now in our third wave, which is even more deadlier, it's fentanyl, which is also, as I've already discussed, combined with cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, which is also driving our drug overdoses. So unfortunately, we really have to take this opioid crisis completely different because what we're seeing is that it's going in waves for us in this country. And as of right now, we are starting to shift. Primarily into a fourth wave where I do believe that instead of being reliant upon opioids such that are plant-based in themselves, we're going to start seeing a lot more deaths, as we have already seen with fentanyl, that are man-made. I really do think that we're starting to make a move because of opioids into a more synthetic space for drug use, and that's just going to become even more deadlier for us.
0: Yeah, it's going to be more deadly for the people, and it's going to be a whole lot harder to police because now you don't need a supply chain; you can make this stuff in your sink. It's going to be a real big mess. Let, let, let's round this off this way. Uh, Finesse Moreno Rivera joining us. Um, how do we we understand the federal government is a leviathan, and it's hard to get a hold of it for any good reason whatsoever? What can the average person do to start talking about this? I'm talking about on their social media. I'm talking about amongst their friends and family when these things come up, maybe in their communities when they're having, you know, a community meeting about, you know, we just had it in Parkersburg, West Virginia, where they shut down trying to get a rehab for something built, even though they badly need one because the residents freaked out. Stuff like that. How can people in a practical way, not buzzwords, not theory, not, you know, the big things we talk about, just when they're talking to each other on Facebook or texting or whatever the case may be, that can move this conversation forward, that they can start mixing into their discussions of, hey, this is actually a problem that we all need to deal with and we can do this X, Y, Z.
1: I think it's really important for there to be open you know, conversation and discussion, similar to what you just said, Andrew, being able to be open and speaking with others. I think it's also very important that we continue to educate each other. A lot of times, again, thinking about a socioeconomic level, just really having uh, those silos created, you know, unfortunately, really can hamper our conversations about things that may be affecting Others more than ourselves. I think that just taking the time to also getting to know your community, getting to know your neighbor, paying attention to what's going on within your surroundings as well. Because when you open your eyes, you're walking down streets, no matter if it's within a small town, with, with with whether that's in a city, you can really tell the detriment that has occurred due to drug use, uh, drug abuse. Um, and so I think it's really time for us as a country to really open our eyes, be honest take responsibility and start making the movement to help these individuals in taking a more health avenue rather than taking a more punitive one.
0: Yeah, and I I always tell people when we talk about this, you've got to see this as a people problem first, not a policy problem. That's where this goes sideways Mm -hmm. first and foremost. Like, these are people, and you got to fix them like people, and people are complicated. You're not going to be able to, you know get a spreadsheet and get a solution to fix this thing. It's a people problem. Uh, Finesse Moreno Rivera, outstanding stuff, really hard topic. So let's end on something good here. I got to know about this orchid back here because I've done orchids (laughs) for years to various effects. I had a great one in Germany, had to leave it there because of regulations. Not so good lately, but tell me about the orchid because I love (laughs) that thing back there. That's beautiful.
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. As of right now, myself and my fiance, we have over – 40 plants within our home are very small, small dwelling, and we have over 10 orchids that are thriving just like the one right behind me. Um, It's very, very pleasant. It's very soothing. And as a criminal justice (laughs) expert, I really need to take the time to make sure my environment around me is beautiful and supports a very healthy um, atmosphere for me. (laughs) So I really enjoy having orchids, especially because they're beautiful and they're worth putting in the time
0: for. I've got one on the other side of my desk that you can't see that I had to trim down. It's back down to the leaves. So I got to wait till the spring to get anything off it, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, you, you have an addiction to orchids duly noted. We'll uh, work up a piece for that. That's <laughs> uh, Moreno Rivera. Outstanding stuff today. Uh, until we get you back on the show again, let folks know where they can keep up with you and what you have going on and how they can follow you until they hear from you again on her Tell. Absolutely. So
1: I will continue to, put out more of my work. Um, As of right now, I'm working on something else, looking at mass incarceration, particularly looking at how we can humanize it um, as much as we possibly can. Obviously not as close to, we can uh, for Europe, but that's coming soon. As of right now, I'm also working on putting up Instagram. Um, But if anyone's interested in my work or any other articles, please feel free to reach out to Young Voices, Um, as well as my LinkedIn profile, which is just
0: to Rivera. Yep. And we'll link to all that in the show notes, including the piece that we were working off of in Blavity, uh, war on drugs and American casualties, especially the black community. We're going to keep talking about this. We're glad you're one of the people advocating for it. So you're going to come back and we're going to keep talking about it. Thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Yes, ma'am.